0: wasn't taken seriously for so long. A lot of big boys, I'm talking like 40 year old men, like trying to gang up to like, you know, get me off flyers or off bills and making it really difficult for me to even just, you know, have my name out there, which was very frustrating. And a lot of people telling stories that weren't true. But I think... The best thing I did was just always, I was myself and I was always just me and just friendly and did my thing. So, yeah, it was quite difficult at the beginning, but probably I would say four years in is when people actually started to listen and realized that I was getting booked internationally and, you know, I had signed to a record label and I was like, you know, writing some cool stuff or playing some really cool parties. And then to the point now where I never get that anymore. I do get actually the comments sometimes, I bet you're just playing a mix CD. I think that's hilarious because if you can base a 10-year career on just pressing play, teach me your ways.
1: That is DJ Tiger Lily and this is the Osha Ginsberg Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Osha Ginsburg podcast. I'm Osha Ginsburg and thank you so much for being here. This episode is with DJ Tiger Lily. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at DJ Tiger Lily, all one word, only two L's. Uh, that's where she is. She's an incredibly successful, fantastic human being. Uh, she's a DJ, uh, she's a health and well being advocate. Uh, she's a lovely human being. And uh, we're going to have a conversation with her today. Uh, Very, very quick intro today. You've probably figured out by the tone of my voice that I'm somewhere where I can't be too noisy. And that's because I am sitting in a chair while my wife sleeps, and our newborn son is asleep on my chest. That's him right there. Hang on. He's just having a nap. You right there, buddy? He got it, mate. A couple of little nuzzles. As of, as of me recording this, we don't quite have a name for him yet. But um, I'll give you a full update in a couple of days when I've had time to process everything. But all I can tell you is that Audrey is... An incredible, incredible human being. And she made a perfect, perfect human boy. He's incredible. It's incredible. Nature's amazing. Science is amazing. Um, equal parts terrified and excited. But as far as I'm aware, that's totally normal. Oh boy. I'll tell you all about it on Friday, but um, I just wanted to make sure you had a podcast to listen to this week. Uh, This is a great conversation.
2: Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry only on BlueNile.com.
1: My guest today is DJ Tiger Lily. Um, She's a musician, DJ, recording artist, international touring artist from Australia. She has a a fantastic story to tell. I'm super stoked that she came on the show. Um, Her career path is an uncommon one. The fight that she had to put up to be accepted is... An incredible story to listen to, and the way that she got there and how she stays there is something that's super imp- inspirational. Um, you can find her on Instagram and Twitter, DJ Tiger Lily, T I G E R L O A L Y. And um, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Oh, uh, I talk about a trick with tofu here i'll tell you about that at the end and there's some renovation going on near our house so there's a few power drills going on but that's what happens when you have people over to your kitchen to have a chat all right enjoy this conversation with tiger lily i'll talk to you after good morning dara
0: good morning <laughs>
1: uh, how long had it
3: been since someone's called you dara Like, did you just go by Tiger Lily for, like, years?
0: No. uh, mm, uh, Like, all my friends call me Dara. Yeah. And I actually kind of request when I'm doing interviews for people to call me Dara because I feel like it's a lot more personal. Uh And people get to, like, see me as opposed to just, like, the face on stage with the crazy colored hair and you know, the yeah. bangers and jumping up and down. So I do kind of use both and I have become a lot more comfortable with using both these days.
3: I'm going to show how very, very old I am. Yeah. That when you interview him, he's Norman Cook. He's not Fat Boy Slim.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like it. Yeah. I really like it. But it's
3: true. Like, yeah. He's Norman. Yeah. He's yeah. Norman from the, what are they called? The extraordinary band Yardbirds, I think. No, something birds. I don't know. Anyway, and then he did that. If you want to see, like, something really hilarious, yeah. look for the the Dub Be Good To Me video. Mm-hmm.
1: Dub Be Good To Me.
3: Uh, and you'll see a very young Norman Cook who produced it on bass in his pair of extraordinary Nike really? high tops. Yeah, he produced oh that record. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, amazing. That was kind of his first big one.
0: Look, you're schooling me already.
3: Yeah, it's, a, it's cracker. I yeah, but- think
0: it's so nice, though, when you're talking to someone, like, to actually, like, refer to them as not their personality. Mm. Because there's so many like levels and layers that we like create mm. around our brands and what we do.
3: But when you interview Snoop, you're going to call him Snoop?
0: Snoop Dogg mm. <laughs> or Snoop Lion.
3: You call him Snoop Lion. Oh my God. I can't imagine the size of the joint that he smoked that he went, this is a great idea.
0: I feel like I'd get an <laughs> asthma attack walking into his house and I don't even have asthma. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm sure you have as well. I've, I've spoken with people that have smoked with him and I'm just like. Oh Yeah. And they just all say, holy shit.
0: What was that? <laughs> I don't,
3: and I'm a seasoned campaigner. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's mental, isn't it? I I, yeah. I, don't know. I don't know how he does it. Hats off to him. Oh, I, yeah.
3: Uh, my, my days with weed are well behind me. Anyway, oh, God, me
0: too. <laughs> I'm, uh, uh,
3: and I often say, you know, I can, if if we had a similar to, I drew a little graph for Dara before on, on the fridge door about what Sane does, if I had a similar graph to draw you, the line where I stopped smoking weed every day and essentially put the pipe down, well, the line of my career, you can see the point where I stopped smoking weed every day and put the pipe down and there's this extremely sharp uptick.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Can I just say, my life is exactly the same as that. i probably stopped doing it younger than you, but like I... Probably had two two or three years where I was, like, doing some party drugs, smoking a bit of weed. Nothing too hectic. But then one day I stopped when I was, like, 22 – and the career just went zing, amazing life is great and all i reckon honestly because there were no drugs yeah there was no weed smoking every day yeah. there was no you know kick-ons in the club after the show it was just kind of work
3: yeah and I, that's that's i think south park did a bit about weed you know they go that's great go ahead and do it mm. but it makes you feel like not doing anything mm. or not trying mm. you just kind of oh this is content i'm fine here yeah but what ends up happening is then you go shit i'm 52 and, all, and I I'm all i have is all i have is band t-shirts from the 90s and all of my friends have property yeah i can't really do any job except <laughs> fuck what am i gonna do <laughs> You know?
2: It's
0: interesting. It's so glorified at the moment and it's so popular. And, like, sure, it does look sexy, like some hippie chick, gorgeous, smoking weed on a skateboard, you know, hanging about. But, like, realistically, I feel like it is a drug, like everything else. Yeah. And it needs to be, like, dealt with pretty carefully. Yeah,
3: we deal with alcohol in a responsible service manner. And as marijuana, certainly where I used to live in California, becomes, like, recreationally legal and, you know, it's – it is drug. Mm. You've got to deal with it in a responsible way. If that's what you want to do, you're responsible. Well, they'll take responsibility for it. Don't mm. be getting behind the wheel. Don't be, you know, around kids. You know, yeah, totally. All that kind of stuff.
0: I think also people don't necessarily think about the link from marijuana use to mental health. Oh, yeah. Like my mum works with a lot of people who have different mental health issues and she's always been pretty against weed use in general because people um, have often seen it as like a soft drug or a relaxed one or one that isn't too bad and it can, you know, create so many issues long-term if you're not aware of like the consequences. Mm. Looping back to the graph that we were talking about before.
3: Yeah, I wrote about it in my book, like the first kind of semi-psychosis stuff that I experienced was smoking really frightening hydro. Oh my God. Yeah. And I didn't know what was happening. And then it started happening when I wasn't even smoking. Once my brain knew how to do that, it started happening without being high and that, yeah.
0: That's so scary. It was. You're crazy. <laughs> not,
3: not, as, not as crazy as I used to be, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, Dara. Uh, now, we're sitting in the, the glorious eastern beaches of, uh, of Sydney. Not all of Sydney looks like this. No. Actually, probably only 5% of Sydney looks like this. A large man of Sydney is low-slung, red brick and west of here. Yeah. It just keeps going until the mountains start. Uh, but you grew up not far from here, a couple of K south, right?
0: Yes. I grew up in Maroubra on River Beach, in the same place my parents still live in now. I had the best childhood. We were always outside. My parents are pretty not techy, so we didn't have a DVD player. We had um, a really old slow computer, probably purposefully, so we didn't want to be on it playing games. We never had Xbox, PlayStation. So our childhood consisted of like craft and dress-ups and our treehouse You
3: say our, you got some siblings?
0: Yes, I got two younger sisters who I'm super close with. And our holidays were like hiking, camping, that's about it. So we had a really nice outdoorsy childhood. And looking back, I always disliked it. At the time, I always thought, oh, this is so lame. My friends are going to Movie World or Sea World or whatever it might be on the Gold Coast. And we were going to the snowy mountains to do a five-day hike. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but now I've done like a 360 flip and I think it's the most amazing thing ever and I'm exactly like that now we would choose to go and go camping or hiking we're going four-wheel driving in the Kimberley soon so I feel like I'm living out that life that my parents kind of started for me which is epic because you know stuff living any other way so I'm very what grateful the,
3: what, what gig were your parents into what was their gig
0: What do you mean? What do they do for work? Yeah, yeah. So dad actually works for ComBank. He's a numbers guy. So I suppose his um, love for like hiking and nature is like a bit of an outlet. And mum was trained as a physio, but she now works for the government in more like occupational health and also works with a lot of elderly people in the grandparents advisory space, I think it's called. Um, So both pretty different. But, yeah, they both had a massive passion for, like, sport and health and being outside, which was really good.
3: Growing up in Brisbane, I never really heard about Maroubra. I had no idea what it was. When I moved to Sydney in the 90s, I started hearing things about this mm. place that I was never to surf because so I was starting to learn to surf. I are like, yep. oh, you're fine. Just never, ever paddle out there, <laughs> ever.
0: You might get bashed. Yeah. <laughs>
3: So what are, What do people hear about Maroubra?
0: So for everyone listening, if you guys don't know, Maroubra is known for, I suppose, a group of guys called the Bra Boys. Our postcode is 2035, represent. Um, and these Bra Boys were surfers and I suppose young hooligans I don't know. I've never had any problems with them, not that I know any of them really personally, but they always seem pretty happy and, you know, walking around, having a good time, but they do get on people's bad sides. So they are slightly notorious for protecting the Marubra territory, um, especially when it comes to surfing. Mm. Yeah, I don't oh, think you want to th- drop in on their waves.
3: Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Like, like there's territorialism and surfing has, all, has kind of been there since, you know, no, this is our break. These are our mm. waves. I don't understand it because the ocean doesn't belong to anybody. No. But I, the North Shore of Hawaii is notorious for that. If you ever – and you can, you can do it in an afternoon. You can drive around Oahu mm-hmm. and you'll see it goes like condos, condos, developments, apartments, high-rises, bush
0: for about, yep.
3: for about 20Ks and then condos, condos, developments, high-rises. And that's the North Shore boys, the, yep. the Hui they're called, just going, oh, no, 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 there's no Four Seasons here. Oh, no, no, no. There's no, none of that development. Really? They're not fucking happening here. And in a similar kind of way, you, you go south from here, there's like massive, you know, residential development, residential development, and then zip. Yeah. And then you get south of Maroubra. Like, there it is again.
2: Yeah,
0: totally. But you know what? It's really nice. There's a real community right. sense. Um, n- this is totally unrelated to Bra Boy stuff with the Maroubra people there's been so many developers that have tried to come in and do the high rise shopping strip to put like the massive four seasons thing on the rifle range, which is the South Maroomba headland. But like the community's always stood up and said, no, we don't want that, which is awesome because it's still low rise, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of old buildings Mm -hmm. and it has that real nice surfy laid back element. I hope it never changes. It obviously will. And at some point it has to, but um, yeah, it's, Pretty beautiful still. Yeah,
3: there's still a bunch of public housing there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yep, a lot, which I think is really cool because it like makes different types of people connect yeah, in a way.
3: I think it's, it's – we were talking about this yesterday. You may be of a, a different socioeconomic access to society and be able to live in Marouba and, you know, walk to the beach and see someone who's like, oh, that person is here on public housing and living on a pension and I'm, I live a kilometre from them. And they're a part of my community. Okay. But if you live in parts of, you know, if you go north from here, you'd never ever see that. No way, not at all. That would be, when it comes election time, you would never even think yeah. that these people existed because you don't see them.
0: Yeah, totally.
3: And that's super important. Yeah. I find that about Adelaide, I like to say, Adelaide's a city that's this perfect size because you can actually see different socioeconomic classes from the community as you walk around. You're like, yeah. oh, okay, there's, you know, whereas here, because we're so separated in the city of Sydney, geographically separated, you just don't see just, they're just not around.
0: 100%. Adelaide's my favorite city in Australia. I love it. It's got such a beautiful vibe to it. Everyone's nice. Great wine, great coffee, great food, <laughs> great beaches. <laughs> I am not paid by tourism Adelaide. Um, but, yeah, even in Maribra, like, sometimes it's less than that. Like, um, my parents... The next block from theirs, they are, like, on the beachfront. The next block back from theirs is Housing Commission. Mm. So everyone is, like, really closely intertwined, which is great because growing up you have more of an appreciation for other people's issues Mm. that you might not have, say, living, you know, yeah, Bondi. You would never see anything like that. So
3: was it high school dances that got you into music? What was it that got you into music?
0: (laughs) Um, No. So when I was almost four, so really young, my parents were like, all right, music is what you girls are going to do, music and sport, which was great. So we went to a piano school called AMS just in Randwick. And this piano school had like a really holistic perspective. So it wasn't about just going and doing the exam at the end of the year, like, A lot of them are it was about learning percussion and learning to sight read and to try and perfect your pitch and to learn how to play you know with five other people to create one piece Uh, we learned how to write our own music all this like all this crazy stuff that was just a little bit different and i did that up until i was 16 um so played piano and then when i was in high school i picked up another instrument a bit of an embarrassing one trombone
3: there's nothing embarrassing about trombone. My favorite, <laughs> look, one of my favorite, one of my favorite bands is the JB's, which is uh, James Brown's mm-hmm. band without James Brown. Mm-hmm. And man, when the trombone solos hit,
0: so oh, cool, right? That's the shit. Literally, I went to um the like you know the induction before you start Year Seven at your new high school, and the orchestra played a song called Lassus Trombone, which is just a song based around trombone. It's got all this sliding, and it's epic. And I said to mom that's the instrument i'm gonna play mm. oh my goodness so yeah do that all throughout high school um and i really wanted to do something in music because i was in every single band um i had like bands with my friends that we made up
3: and you're on trombone or piano
0: piano guitar trombone singing whatever it might be i think i even tried to do drums for one of our bands <laughs> But I didn't think that there was an option. Um, I went to a selective school, so we were kind of told that we had to go to uni and, you know, it was like doctor, Which lawyer, one did you go to? St. George Girls in Cogra. And I don't know, they wouldn't encourage us to become a teacher, say, or obviously go into like maybe the administrational side of, I don't know, the Sydney Symph or something like that, which could have been a path they could have gone down. But it was, you know, you're going to be a dentist or an architect or whatever. So I ended up going to uni and starting to do dentistry. Well, started to do science, to do dentistry, lol. (laughs) And then a year into that, I just realized that it definitely wasn't for me. And simultaneously in that year, I started to go clubbing, as you do, um, and just fell in love with this thing that I had no idea about called DJing. And I realized after not a very long space of time that I could actually hear a lot of things that other people couldn't, like if the mix was rhythmically out or if the mix was harmonically out. A lot of my friends wouldn't even notice when a new song came in. But I was like really aware of these things. And I thought, oh, I've got to give that a go. So then I came across as, um, you know, the universe has it, this competition called Your Shot, which is a competition that teaches young kids how to DJ and perform. Um, and that was in 2011 two years after I finished school and I ended up coming second in that and that was against like a hundred kids in Sydney Mm, at the Greenwood Hotel. We had like a big DJ off and yeah, that like kickstarted my career. Wow.
3: So 2011. So I'm guessing you weren't on vinyl at that point.
0: No, we were on CDs at that point actually. So CDs I was on for probably three years. Mm -hmm. I've actually never DJed on vinyl. That's amazing. It's crazy. I feel like a bit of a cop out
3: well why the technology's changed doesn't yeah.
0: matter. Yeah. I, I I definitely do want to give it a go. I just don't know anyone that has vinyl. No, and that's
3: fine. But what what's fascinating <laughs> is I, I can really I can really relate, you know, going out in Brisbane early on. I remember because um, I, you know, similarly I, I, music was all I ever 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 did. Mm-hmm. I was bass and piano and mm-hmm. singing. And yeah, then I when we'd go out I played double bass in a hip hop band for a while. So, I watched, so cool. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. A band called Resin Dogs <laughs> so was great. And um, watching Catch DJ, I was like, that's the shit, man. Mm-hmm. He was just a scratch machine. Oh my He's goodness. incredibly still is. Yeah. And um, going out and watching dance music DJs play, and then absolutely what you're saying, like being on the dance floor, having a great time, and then having my night ruined because someone couldn't beat match, or having my night ruined because, like, why would you go to a minor third? Like that is not a good key change. I, I know. feel sad now. Literally. You
0: know? <laughs> literally. And it's crazy. It like affects your whole body. Yeah. Like come on. Oh, look, if you haven't been trained musically, or maybe not even trained, if you don't have a musical ear, you won't notice it, and it's totally fine. But if you have been trained musically or if you do have a musical ear, it makes your skin crawl. It's awful. It's (laughs)
3: like, I guess the way I would describe it is it's like hearing someone speak with terrible grammar or watching someone type, we'll take your car, Y-O-U-R car. The same feeling you get when you go, that's
0: not the right word. It's an apostrophe R E. That's the same thing, basically.
3: Musically, you're like,
0: oh, that's not it. I know. It's (laughs) just like you're hanging your head, like, why? Oh, my goodness. Totally.
3: Obviously, then, though, you understood. I've got to apologize. Like, for some reason, today's the day that they're installing a new new intercom Uh, (laughs) in our building. This is the (laughs) background
0: noise, guys. It's
3: the sound of high density living in the (laughs) east of Sydney. But, yeah, so you identified as like, oh, this is my advantage here, Mm -hmm. my advantage over and as the software improves, as, you know, beat matching becomes more automated, whatever, whatever, I can still make great musical choices that as yet an algorithm can't make. Here I go. Yeah. That's awesome.
0: I think um, I'm really grateful to have started when I did because I learnt on, I think they were, I want to say CDJ 400s. Mm -hmm. Um, The, The
3: industry standard.
0: So the industry standard yep. now is CDJ 2000s. Yeah. Um so you can imagine from like 400 like time, how they were kind of old for the time they were, probably it was like i don't know a th- like you know yeah. the first thousands. Mate, I remember
3: seeing this th- I remember being at Paul Max house going look at this it's just come out watch and
0: we wow. had two of
3: them and,
0: so cool right. What I, right, I, I know. Oh my god <laughs> mental. Anyway yeah. the ones I learned on there was no information it was like you popped your CD in And you had, like, the name of the song and that was kind of it. You had to figure out the BPM yourself by, like, listening to it and, of course, adjust the BPM yourself.
3: Beats per minute, that's how fast the song is. Yeah, sorry, how
0: the tempo, how fast the song is going. So there wasn't any um, analysis of the track like we have these days. These days it tells you what the song is, where the drop is, where the low point is, how fast it is, what key it's in. You can find everything out from these programs that we have. But back then you just had to listen. So, yeah, I think that was very advantageous as well because these Mm -hmm. days something goes wrong, I just, you know, have to like close my eyes and listen. Whereas I know a lot of DJs get themselves into strife when they rely on like visually mixing or mixing using the tech as opposed to just listening.
3: Which you see a lot of when when you go out, you'll see a lot of people will see a DJ there with a laptop mm. and basically what Dara's talking about is utilising the, uh, the, the waveforms. It looks like a heart rate monitor. Yeah. You basically see where the beats are yeah. and it, it's, you're visually just matching the two of them up so they line up and then he hit go, and that's supposed to sound good, but there's so much more to it, yeah. as, as we're describing. What, um, if any, when you began, were there many hurdles for you? I mean, you're obviously quite young, and DJ mm, has really always been a bit of a sausage party.
0: Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, I wasn't taken seriously for so long. For so long, it blows my mind. Um, and I think I'm really lucky in that my personality is just quite like, outgoing and forward. And I didn't really care what people thought of me. Um, and I made some good friends, which I really relied on, but there was a lot of really nastiness and a lot of kind of big boys. I'm talking like 40 year old men, like trying to gang up to like, you know, get me off flyers or off bills and making it really difficult for me to even just, you know, have my name out there, which was very frustrating. And a lot of people telling stories that weren't true to try and, you know, bad name me.
3: Uh, stories about how you may have got on the bill, that sort of thing? Exactly,
0: right? Right. Or even just like she can't DJ, like the most simple thing, saying that I actually couldn't do the one thing that I was actually pretty good at. Um, Or, yeah, making up crap to say, you know, she's done this or she dated this guy or she's friends with this person or anyway. How
3: the fuck did they get on the bill?
0: Yeah, exactly. Jesus, I know
3: how, like... To get to get when we're talking about getting on the bill, when you see a poll poster that's got all the names of who's going to play at the, yeah. at the thing, yeah. the ranking order of how high you are to the top is is very important.
2: <laughs>
0: yes, um, it is very important because
3: that's you know I'm going to go see this band at the peak of the night. This person with the big font is going to be playing, and that's going to be a great night. Yeah, and the closer you can get to or be that is it's great is is where it is. Yeah. And so I've seen how it works. I've seen the. It's phone calls. It's hustling. It's turning up at people's sets. It's totally. It's going to a gig that you're going out on a on a Wednesday night when you'd rather be home you know, watching The Wire or, or whatever, watching Game <laughs> of Thrones. Um, you know, going to see the promoter and going to talk and say, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I've had a great set. Like it's a lot of hustle yeah, to get 100%. on those, to get on those bills.
0: But I think. The best thing I did was just always I was myself and I was always just me and just friendly and did my thing. So, yeah, it was, it was quite difficult at the beginning, but probably I would say four years in is when people actually started to listen and realised that I was getting booked internationally and, you know, I had signed to a record label and I was, like, you know, writing some cool stuff or playing some really cool parties and then to the point now where I never get that anymore. And if people were to, like... If they do say it, it's kind of just funny. I do get actually the comments sometimes, I bet you're just playing a mix CD. I think that's hilarious because if you can base a 10-year career on just pressing play, teach me your ways, please. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Because <laughs> I'm going to make a million little DJs and manage them all. If they can just stand there and be like this, great. But, yeah, it doesn't work that way.
3: When you were getting that pushback, when you were hearing things and reading things, what was it that it kept you going?
0: The love for what I did. Yeah. I love it and I loved it so much. It's so much fun. The actual act of standing on stage and performing and playing music for people is really epic. And I had this crazy belief in myself that I was just going to be awesome and I was on the right path. And that's what kept me going, which sounds very bizarre to say out loud. It sounds kind of very woo-woo, but I really loved what I did and I had this belief that I was doing the right thing. And now, like five years later, I have complete like love for my younger self that I did pursue through and not let all the haters get to me um, or change my mindset. And I think someone said a comment to me years ago. It was, I don't remember the quote, but it was something along the lines of, no successful musician or artist ever had an easy schooling or an easy start to their career. Um, And if they did, then you don't know their name pretty much. So I really took that in my stride and I was like, I've got to get through this hard time. I've got to, you know, ignore all these people saying things. I've got to work really hard and it worked. Yeah, for sure.
3: How much work off stage Oh, my gosh. What are you doing?
0: A lot. Well, so I was studying full-time at uni. Um, I ended up changing from my dentistry degree to a Bachelor of Media Communications with a marketing and sociology double major. So it was like three and a half days at uni. Plus, you know, I had a manager back then, which I don't now. So he was great with like alleviating some of the work, but it's a lot of travel, a lot of work in the studio, a lot of work just doing mixes or, you know, random bits and pieces like that, interview questions, even things that are really time consuming, which you might not think about finding cool outfits for your shows. Like I don't have a stylist. I wish I had a stylist, but I don't. So it's honestly like a 24 seven thing. And I often say to my friends who work, you know, 7am till 7pm, man, how do you do those long hours in the office? But then I kind of think, oh, I'm probably working just as much.
3: (laughs) When it comes to, I, I toyed with DJing for a while. Did you? And, oh, yeah, and I played out a few times. But Where did
0: you play? Oh, I can't
3: remember now. Places in town.
0: Is this in Brisbane? No, 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 here in Sydney. Oh, um, cool. I
3: did some gigs in not Glenelg, not Gosford. <laughs> Geelong.
0: Oh, Geelong. Uh,
3: yeah, I played, I played around. Um, but <laughs> people may not understand. Could you just maybe talk about just the never-ending work mm. of staying familiar with the music that's coming out that week what does your week look like as far as shifting the set list every week what's that look like
0: so this is a slippery slope that you can definitely get too slipped up in really um every week I don't know the stats but there are thousands upon thousands of new dance music tracks being released there's a site that I use called beatport which is like the hub for all dance music kind of songs and I only actually allow myself to go on that once a week because if you're on it too much, it just becomes all consuming. Um, and I generally give myself an hour once a week, um, usually on like a Thursday, to sift through some stuff and see if there's anything new out there. I also have a couple of PR companies that send me a whole heap of records to go through.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I'm really particular with how much time I spend on it because it's, it's too consuming otherwise. And Unfortunately, the way the Australian market is, people don't necessarily care. Sure, they want to hear some cool, funky new stuff, but they also want to hear songs they know. And it's also about the performance and your stage presence and your interaction and your engagement with them in different markets. It is different. Like in America and in Europe, I do spend a lot more time, probably double the amount of time, like finding new music, researching what's cool, who's made a great new remix, but it is something once again, that you have to really like stop yourself doing because it becomes like any obsession. Mm. You can become so obsessed with finding the coolest new stuff and waste a lot of time.
3: But The thing that I struggled with was that, was uh, I can't, you know, I've got these, I don't know, 85, 100 songs that I'm quite familiar with. I'm quite familiar with how each one would fit into each other. But beyond that, I'm screwed. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but I speak with a good friend of mine, it's Goodwill, Will Will Kate. Mm -hmm. He's an extraordinary man. Mm -hmm. And he can play on the same night, he can play a bar mitzvah, a wedding and a packed to the rafters home nightclub ready for 20 years of trance spectacular Yeah, yeah. and know exactly which track to make every single room move.
0: Yeah. That's a real talent. Yeah. I've got as far as being able to play like big nightclubs and festivals and then like day parties, more like housey disco vibes and I'm familiar with all that kind of music. But as soon as you get into Bar and wedding territory, I'm clocking out because, like, I don't have the Beach Boys and I don't have YMCA and I'm not that kind of DJ. So that's fine. So I've cut the line there.
3: No, that's fine. <laughs> but even so... A
0: great talent, though. Honestly, it, it wedding is. DJs, my yeah. hat goes off to you guys.
3: Him and Anna, when he, he DJed our wedding... And I, he insisted that he DJ would our wedding. I'm like, mate, I can't afford it. He's like, no, 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 no. He goes, me and Luno have this, uh, we have this <laughs> wedding playlist that we have just been curating for the last, you know, 10 years that is just the all-time Oh,
0: my goodness. Ultimate. But
3: then I threw him as curvy. I'm like, mate, there's going to be about 80 Fijians there and there's a whole part of Fijian party music. Here's like 30 tracks. Get what you will out of it. Oh he was goodness. texting me going, these dogs are amazing. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> they really are.
0: And was it the best wedding set ever?
3: Ever. It was, oh it was my goodness! I want to see that playlist. You, I don't know how you could do a wedding without Michael Jackson now, but – You know, that's the challenge we face in Disney times. But just to kind of explain to people like you have to be so intimately familiar with hundreds and hundreds of songs uh, how, you know, the the first, you know, the first 16 bars go, the second 32 bars go. You've got to know exactly how much time you've got to read the room, how many people have gone to the toilet, how many people have gone to the bar, is this one working, yes, this one's working, how can I keep them here? Oh, shit, I've got to get people back from the bar, I've got to keep people back from the toilet where I was going to go next, I can't go now, Am i going to take it up, i going (laughs) to take it down. (laughs) Shit, I've got four bars to make this decision. Where did I put that disc?
0: Fuck. Literally, that is what's going on in my head for two hours every night on the weekend. And dancing. And smile. (laughs) Look happy. (laughs) Literally, there's so many different things to think about, especially when you're reading a room, especially when you're... Playing things on the fly. Like I curate my playlist, but I never stick to them exactly. I'm always jumping between a couple of different playlists depending on how many people have gone to the bar or how many people have gone to the toilet or how's everyone looking? Like, are they engaged or not? So there is a lot to think about. And then to add in the elements of like performance, like I mentioned before, and smiling and, you know, being present. And then these days, social media and photographers, where's your photographer at? She's wanting you to like, you know, put your hands up, shit, jump up on the decks, put your hands up, get everyone amped. Hang on. Oh no, you've only got 30 seconds left of this track. Quick, jump back down, play another one that has a fast intro. Like I've got a whole heap of tracks that have like a 15 second intro. So if I do spray champagne for too long or I'm running around for too long up on the decks, I have my go-to quick mixes, you know, there's a lot to think about. Yeah. But it's fun. It's awesome. Hey, I'm sure every everyone's jobs have intense periods like that. Yeah, mine are just every weekend for a really particular amount of time.
3: Yeah, but just, <laughs> just there's so much more to it. Yeah, than yes. someone throwing their hands in the air, hitting a CO2 cannon, and going, "Oh, you're in it!" You're like, <laughs> "There's a lot." There's, for, for two hours on for a two-hour set, which is a long set yeah. for a DJ for a two-hour set, there's got to be, you know hundreds of hours that have gone into staying ready.
0: Yeah, 100%. Staying ready for that. And it's not just the music. Like especially being a female, you're expected to like look good and look fit. And so I spend like a lot of time like keeping fit and keeping healthy and making sure, you know, my skin's good and I'm feeling not under the weather because as soon as that kind of wanes, then that whole performance visual aspect of your set, Mm. So like there's so many things to think about because you are the show. So you have to really look after yourself, not just the music, not just the visuals, not just your team, your photographers. Like there's just like a million different things that go into it.
3: Who did I see? see It was an extraordinary festival in um, Centennial Parklands. Grace Jones played and it was fucking amazing. Oh, my
0: goodness. Cool.
3: Justice played. Yeah. And I love that band. There's two Mm -hmm. French guys. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: And they were, you know, on the record, I I just, I think they were the most fucking amazing, you know, what they were doing was just incredible. It was two pretty bored-looking guys in their 30s in denim jackets and jeans kind of standing. Bobbing. Head nodding a little bit, facing each other, twiddling with knobs for an hour and a half. like. You're at a festival, boys.
0: Yeah. Look
3: at the crowd. Get excited. Move a little. Yeah. I'm sure you're doing something super technical (laughs) up there, but come on, you're letting the video guy do a lot of work here.
0: Yeah, totally. Oh, my gosh. And you know what? It's really hard for videographers and photographers to make a set look fun if the DJ looks like he wants to go to sleep. Really? And so that's definitely a massive part of it is like the engagement with the crowd and the performance. And I think that's also a part that makes people feel really connected to you as an artist. If you're able to, you know, run down to the front to the barriers. This happened on Saturday night, and a girl was wearing an old, old, old Tiger Lily merch tee that would have come out in like, I want to say 2012 or 13. And like, gave her the biggest hug and like, got my crew to give her a drink and like, got a photo with her. And like, having those little video clips and, of course, the photos and the experience for her personally. Like, that makes the show so much more real. Yeah. And accessible and tangible.
3: So much of what you do is because you write your own music you produce your own music you play your own music but mm-hmm. uh, your set also consists of other people's songs mm-hmm. all right so so much of what you do is your performance but also what you mentioned your building of community and what it is to be someone who goes to a tiger lily show yeah georgia who it's very hard to impress a 15 year old mm-hmm. stepdaughter mm-hmm. Uh, but i hey tiger lily's coming over today cool I think she was, yeah, because she's gone to see you play.
0: Has she? Oh, yeah, yeah. At Good Life? At yeah. the festivals? Oh, yeah. she oh, was. I love those shows. She
3: was stoked to go and see you play. Oh,
0: my gosh. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, cool. That so, makes me excited. <laughs> yeah.
3: So tell me, you know, there's so much about what you do that is is community building and yeah. is, you know, this is what it is to be at a Tiger Lily set.
0: Yeah. I've become really passionate about that and just like community in general because I've realised that that's like one of the main things that like keeps humanity alive is community um, and dance music is really special in that it is kind of unlike any other music genre in, it, in that it can bring people together of all different walks of life kind of like we mentioned before and create these like incredibly memorable shared experiences and moments and a lot of dance music can be quite heavy and dark and negative and I try and flip that because I want people to come away from my shows feeling energized and feeling motivated and excited. Like all my visuals and my graphics are colorful and positive and happy. And a lot of the tracks that I play are really, you know, upbeat and not necessarily major, but there's a good vibe there. And it's really cool. A lot of the people like regulars that come to my shows are like now friends and have like connected through meeting at these shows which is really epic. And similarly referring that to the way that I kind of go on social media or like engage with people on social media, I try and make it positive and really responsible and, I don't know, just motivating and hopefully, I hate the word inspiring, but like inspiring for people to like, you know, get up and be good and do good and feel good and stuff like that. So, yeah, dance music is pretty special. It has some pretty cool moments and the ability to like really move people.
3: The idea that I'm going to see this DJ, therefore I'm part of a group of people that mm. go to see this DJ. Yeah. I feel is quite strong yeah. with with a DJ like yourself.
2: Mm.
3: And like you mentioned, like people going to follow you around and then being around like the same couple of hundred people uh, yeah. that make up the core
0: yeah. of what yeah. you
3: see becomes, it's just this community that then, regathers and and meets again wherever mm, you are yeah
0: and i think one of the coolest things about my fans is that um or like fans like people that come to my shows is that they're all really different um i'm not like say a triple j artist that's like super cool uber hipster like doesn't really want to get photos with anyone and it's all like that you know grungy like 15 to 20 year old people smoking Diaries and living in paddington you know they're they come from all walks of life from all over Sydney and they're all totally different. And I love so, so, so much going after the show and meeting them and getting photos and chatting to them because you can really change someone's day or like change someone's experience of what they're going through by, you know, even just like a simple hi or a hug or a photo. I'm like a massive hugger. So like at my shows, like everyone is just like, getting hugs left, right and centre, which is nice because I don't think it pays off to be cool in the long run, you know? Um, and I think that's a nice thing about the people and the fans that come to my show.
3: By cool you mean standoffish?
0: Yeah, yeah. like cold mm. but like cool as well as cold. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah, it does. What point along your journey did you see that, oh, there's something that I can give to people that not isn't isn't just music? When did you start to talk about hey, this is, you know, you see me up on stage, you see me, I look like I eat right, I look like I take care of myself, Mm. Um, the benefits of eating right and taking care of myself, here they are. Mm. Let me share this with you. Mm. When did that show up?
0: So people have always been quite interested in like what I do behind the scenes and that's I think just natural human instinct wanting to know more. We're all very nosy. I'm no exception. But about three years ago when I started to actually treat myself right, eat really, really well, work out really well, sleep well, not drink as much, you know, all the good things. I noticed the benefits straight away and I wanted to share them with people because I'm just naturally one of those people that's saying, you got to go and see this film or you got to go watch this doco or you got to go to this restaurant. I'm like, if there's something great, I just tell everyone about it. So I started to notice these changes in me and I just was like, this is the magic pill. I found the answer and just wanted to share it with everyone and obviously being really out there or being able feeling like I could share things. I just started sharing it and I got a really positive response and people were really interested and really engaged because funnily enough, a lot of young people have the same issues being, you know, mental health or gut issues or skin issues or hormonal issues or just not really knowing what to eat and when to eat and when to sleep because we're not really told these things in school unfortunately so yeah it's something that I'm super super passionate about now and I can't wait to do more of it I feel like there's a lot of awesome things that I'm gonna do
2: ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me Keke Palmer.
3: When you – when people ask you, like, oh, you know, I've just found – I saw you at this festival that I wasn't expecting. I see that you eat this particular way. Like, I don't even know where to start. Where would you say to start?
0: A couple of different recommendations. I recommend a few different – sorry, Instagram pages. That's right. (laughs) Because Instagram is a really beautiful way for people to learn and connect with people who are also on the same journey. I often direct them toward Netflix or online to watch some documentary style things because it's an easy way for people to consume confronting information in a short period of time. I've got a website where I write blogs about different things and share my own experiences. Mm-hmm prime example just did one the other day, like what I eat in a day or my five quick go-to lazy recipes. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of the three different ones in particular. But then I have a second Instagram account and I try and be really engaged with the Instagram DMs there. So I say to people, if you have particular questions... After you've done all that, come and ask me and I'm happy to talk to you because I think having that personal experience um, and connection is a massive part of, you know, the plant-based community and I think if you can be even taking five minutes out of your day, it can really impact someone's journey like massively. So I try and do that and stay really active on those DMs on that account.
3: What got you to plant-based?
0: A couple of different things. So when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a vegetarian But my mum was like, no, it's too difficult to cook for all of you and then cook another thing as well. When you're older, you can make that decision. And then when I was older, I forgot about my younger self's inkling. And at the same time that I became really sick with a whole lot of gut issues because of traveling nine months of the year partying nine months of the year all this kind of stuff I also met up with one of my cousins who had been vegan for probably like five years oh my gosh she just like she doesn't walk she just like glows and floats she's one of those vegans (laughs) um and she was just chatting to me about it in like a completely non-preachy just like I feel great way. and I was like oh wow I do not look or feel like you And I want to look and feel the way that you are right now. And so that kind of, that was what, three and a half years ago. And I suppose for six months, I was really focused on trying to work on my stomach issues. Pretty much I had um, something called ileitis, which is an inflammation of part of the intestine. It's kind of related to Crohn's disease. And the implication of that was I was probably going to be medicated for my whole life. Anyway, so I thought, you know what, I'll take the medication, but I'll also try and make some big changes in my lifestyle to hopefully get myself off this medication. And, you know, 12 months later, I decided, without telling my specialist, that I was going to wean myself off this medication (laughs) because I was having like a completely really whole food, plant-based, simple diet, and it was really working for me. I lost quite a bit of weight and toned up heaps. My skin was great. My sleep was great my hormones like balanced out, which was amazing. And then I went in and told my specialist I was doing the weaning thing and he was very unimpressed, but he knew that I didn't really care what he thought anyway. So he was like, okay, well, you seem fine. So great. And I've like fully off that medication now for like two and a bit years, which is pretty awesome.
3: Do you follow up with blood tests and things like that to make sure that you're on point?
0: Yes, I still get blood tests every six months. I was actually iron, really low in iron at the end of last year. And I think I had had a little bit of inflammation in my gut again, which probably meant that I wasn't absorbing the iron that I was eating. I ended up choosing to get an iron transfusion, and my bloods are great again mm. now. I feel awesome. So I've,
3: I've done that. Like, mm. I, I only found out I only found out I was celiac like a year ago. I found oh, out I was celiac. Really? Yeah. Like yeah. badly. Uh, well, I don't get. I, it Well, it could be bad because I don't have GI issues.
0: Yeah. Okay. So. So how did you find out you were celiac?
3: Insidiously. What a good word! uh, Yeah, it is. I um, had come off. I was on the antipsychotics for a a while, and that Mm -hmm. can really fuck with your your hormones. Mm -hmm. And I'd been off them, and yet, and I'd been off meds altogether for about five or six months, and things weren't moving. It's like this isn't quite right. And I'd also done a Dexa scan as part of the men's health thing. I was Mm -hmm. like, why is my bone density there? I'm at the time, I'm forty three my bone density shouldn't be there. As
0: in it was really low? Yeah,
3: it's not, not great. And really? Like, it's not okay. Yeah. And then, so I went to go see this doctor and then she did a bunch of tests and she was like, you are off the chart gliding antibodies. You are, you cannot, cannot have any gluten whatsoever. You are celiac, mate. And so Whoa. while I was eating super well, my body just, I just wasn't absorbing the nutrients, mm. and so it was just starting to shut down. And, and yeah, I've had it. have had a transfusion, not because I'm not eating everything I should be eating. Yeah, it's just my body wasn't absorbing it. Yeah, it wasn't absorbing yeah, it. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, got, it's isn't still it? kind of you know, I kind of struggle with that. I mean, like yeah, I've got an autoimmune disease, but. Some people have autoimmune diseases and they're on medication for life. Yeah, my treatment for my autoimmune disease is like I just eat really yummy food. Yeah, it's exactly right. And <laughs> if if and like I've just come to the acceptance like if if I can't be absorbing all the nutrients that I need, it's not through any fault of like I just I can eat nothing but iron based you know vegetables my mm. day and I, I might not still get enough yeah, because totally. my body can't absorb it properly. Yeah, yeah. So. That's and what i to
0: do Yeah, a lot of people often say to me I don't know if you've had a similar thing But they say Well, you know You're obviously eating the wrong kind of stuff Why don't you incorporate some other forms of iron into your diet I.e. like meat or whatever And I'm like, well I feel like we're, we live in a really privileged society Where we can be choosing to make like consciously better decisions mm. Even if it means going to the doctor and getting an iron transfusion I don't know, say once a year mm. It has like a much lesser environmental impact much less a cruelty impact and you can still do all the great things and eat all the delicious food and be a healthy, functioning human being.
3: Yeah, you mentioned privilege. I was talking to my two mate. Uh, I got uh, mate, one mate from Ireland and two mates from Scotland and then, mm. and one of them just went back to Scotland. They were just talking about, yeah, it's a privilege to be able to eat yeah. the amount of vegetables that we eat in this country, yeah. like food in a place like Scotland, like shit in parts of Sydney. It's a privilege to choose to eat this way.
0: Yeah. Um, My parents are in Africa at the moment. We have a really good family friend who's African and they're over there for her wedding. And I wouldn't say that my parents are vegan, but mum is probably, I'd say, 95% and dad's probably like... 75%. 75%. It's
3: pretty good. If, Look, you're, if you're doing three to one, you know, vegetables yeah, to meat, that's a pretty good, yeah. pretty good diet.
0: They've changed a lot because of my sisters and I, which is really awesome. Um, but we were having the discussion in our family chat group um, saying like how privileged we are in Australia to eat the way we can um, because over there it's pretty much just like grains and meat. Um, My dad's been eating a lot of these things called, I think, mopay worms and they're like little worms and bugs and things like that because that also provides like a massive part of their diet over Mm. there. And it's just like such a wake up call that like, you know, I'm going to the cafe every morning and getting my almond milk latte and like, you know, having my vegan ramen with like tahini tofu miso dressing and all this wanky stuff and I know I'm a complete wanker and I know I'm like really privileged but also I feel like if we do have that privilege and that availability to eat a heap of great plant-based food then like how good's that it
3: is it is pretty great and (laughs) uh, I guess you know the only thing that can shift is education Um, yeah the long-term health benefits of just eating less meat
2: yeah, totally, totally. You know, I'm not totally. saying
3: everyone's just stop eating meat. This is completely impossible. But just eat, eating less meat. Yeah. It's just the what what you've got to gain. Mm. Just how you feel. So, yeah. you mentioned earlier for like day 1, you said, you know, go and watch this and read that and look at that. But I'm hungry now. So, tell me, what, you know, day 1? Yeah. What, what do you say? Look, he's just put this in your mouth and do these things.
0: Okay, so I like to eat pretty simply. And quickly, because I'm really busy. And I think that's a great way for people to get started, but also to make it yummy. So um, look, you're hard, you're celiac. I'm not going to worry about you. Sorry. So at home, if you're listening, hopefully you're not celiac. For breakfast, a great way to start your day is having a bowl of oats. So you can either do like overnight oats or cook your oats on the stove. So you get, you know, half a cup of oats, some almond milk, rice milk, coconut milk, or water, throw in a heap of berries, maybe some chia seeds, I don't know, coconut, If you want to put some sort of powder in there, if you're into the powders, fuck yeah, awesome. Um, And either sit that in the fridge overnight or mix it up in the stove. Um, I love to add cinnamon onto mine. I actually use – essential oil cinnamon. So I just put one drop in and it is like this amazing blast of flavor. So you can do that for breakfast. It's super easy or get all the same ingredients and put it into your bullet and make a smoothie. Mm. If you are celiac, then swap the oats for banana and frozen banana, of yeah. course. And you've got this like delicious ice creamy smoothie for brekkie, which is great. Lunch, I'm a big advocate of like just really simple salads. So grab some rice, grab some roast veggies, like pumpkin, sweet potato, eggplant, cauliflower, zucchini, um, and pop them in a bowl with some spinach or rocket, drizzle some lemon or some tahini, some, you want some chili, I don't know I love Sriracha, throw some Sriracha on it. And you've got like a really nutritious, yummy, quick, easy, simple Buddha bowl kind mm. of vibe. Dinners, I have like a few recipes that I just make over and over again. So I do like an eggplant and tomato pasta, And with whatever kind of pasta I feel like or just the sauce by itself if I'm feeling boring with like zoodles, Mm. if I'm trying to be a bit less carby. Or I do these really yummy cauliflower tacos um, or I have this beautiful ramen that I make. But these are also recipes that I've developed over, you know, being and eating this way for three years. Mm. So I feel really comfortable with them. At the start, I did loads of stir fries, Mm. loads of green curries or red curries or whatever type of curry that you like and just got creative with using beans and lentils and learning how to cook them um, because obviously they're pretty important for all your dietary needs um, and making sure that you eat enough of those like replacements, I suppose, or alternatives. But the most important thing I always say is just make sure you're eating rainbow stuff. So if your plate looks like a big bowl of rainbow mush, then 99.9% of the time, you're going to be getting enough of the right Nutrients and vitamins and minerals. Mm.
3: You you've just detailed recipes that are way too complicated for me. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I'll, I've got i I've, we've got a pressure cooker which is the greatest thing ever, and um I just like I'll run some chickpeas. They just like yeah, yeah. sit in the fridge, and probably when you leave I'll throw two hundred grams of chickpeas in a bowl. I'll throw you know a quarter of an avocado in there, you know maybe mix, mix through some nutritional yeast, you know yeah. half a cup of rice, bit of chili. That's lunch.
0: So I used to eat like that. Honestly, no, and that's the best way to eat. Really, yeah. it is. Truly, really, beans and
3: rice, man. <laughs> like, that's my my life is beans and rice. Beans, rice, and avocado, and I'm doing okay. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but so I have a boyfriend who loves meat and loves not vegan stuff, and so I've um, had to be. We moved in about a year and a half ago. So I've had to be a little bit more creative with my cooking because I'm trying to show him that there is life beyond, you know, Mm. animal product. So I have been putting in a bit of an effort to make things that are yummy and that are kind of a bit more restauranty because he's super happy to sit there and eat, you know, yummy stuff. If it's vegan, he loves it. Actually, he's really Mm -hmm. happy to eat it. But my old way of eating, which is very similar to you, rice, potato, veggies, beans avocado in the middle and probably some like kimchi or something he's like you just put some things on a plate and it's not a meal
3: you do what it is and i know I know. it's everything <laughs> you need you tell you tell him from me he's like uh, like <laughs> that cover of men's health magazine was the bowl i just described to yeah you. literally like, that's it like that's really it maybe <laughs> you throw some spinach in there yeah. like that that's the size of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, totally. And a mad mad bowl of yeah. uh, of lettuce, bit of tempeh.
2: Oh, some,
3: some tomato, five mils of olive oil, salt, chili. Done. I'm in.
2: Yeah, like Literally. that's And it's delicious. Yeah, and
3: it is really it.
0: good. But a lot of people, I think, I think this is part of the problem. A lot of people come from eating really processed stuff, really salty stuff, or eating out a lot. Like I know my generation, we eat out so much. So then coming home to like really simple meals can often be a bit weird. I love it, but I think it's difficult for people to adjust. So that's another tip that I would say to people, if you are wanting to like make changes in your diet and like eat less animal product, find the meals that you love right now and just change bits and pieces of them. So you can be having the same meals. They're just going to taste maybe tiny bit different and be so much better for you. And there are so many different like ways that you can do that curries swap the chicken for tofu um any sort of mexican thing Mm. swap the meat whatever you're using for beans or um you can like crush up your tofu and it kind of creates like a a mincy texture
3: the key is to freeze the tofu oh you freeze the tofu and then defrost you freeze it it changes the structure of it and (gasps) and when you what yeah when then when you defrost it you pull it apart and it, it it the structure's a lot chewier and it's almost like pulled chicken um, yeah,
0: you have blown my mind.
3: Key to success. <gasps> here to help cool. you. Yeah.
0: See, help. like tips like this. I'm I... here
3: to take you from 127 <laughs> to 132 <laughs> with a massive. One to five key change, and we're going to let off the confetti cannons. Are you ready? Everybody ready to go? This is a big one. Hands we're,
0: up, everyone! We're ten minutes before the end of the set.
3: Get the get the pyro crew ready. Here it comes. This is the moment they're all waiting for. Get the cameras ready and go.
0: Fake tofu chicken in your face.
3: Boom! Frozen, frozen,
0: frozen then tofu. let it defrost, and then
3: you pull it apart. Wow! And it has a diff- completely different texture.
0: Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's cool. I'm yeah, going to yeah. try it. I'll let you know how I go.
3: Oh yeah! And then I um, another that we have an air fryer, like. We have – I had to – seriously, the amount of space that I had to bargain with my wife to get in this kitchen to put the appliances in. Um, so we have an air fryer as well. Do you use is,
0: the air fryer? Yeah,
3: it's the shit.
0: Yeah, I've been looking. One They're of my big. friends has one on Instagram and she's raving about it. But like we have – you know, we live in a small house too. Yeah. We're like very limited it our space. The, it
3: lives under the sink. It's big. Yeah. But – Sweet potato fries
0: Mm, Yum And like how healthy are they right? Incredible
3: I made uh, made, We make falafels in it And um, I make uh, Salt and pepper tofu in it
0: Oh my god Fried
3: Air fried salt and pepper tofu Yum Yeah It's extraordinary
0: So guys I've just been convinced to buy A coffee machine (laughs) A pressure cooker An air fryer Yeah Yeah
3: (laughs) Click click my affiliate link (laughs)
0: Yeah (laughs) Hang on I haven't set them up yet
3: Uh, So uh, Yeah Look I guess you know a, a big part of we mentioned earlier a big part of what you do is is community yeah is nurturing and nourishing the yeah. community that come to see your shows and having that relying on that and keeping the momentum about that so that you can go to a promoter and go you book me there's this many people that uh, in your area that I can message to and incentivized to come to the gig yeah. so that's why it's worth to book me versus them and that's why you'll pay me this guarantee versus not that they guarantee so I'm just explaining yeah. you know this yes. I'm explaining to people who yeah. have maybe never thought about how the DJs get on a bill yeah. at their local festival yeah. so that is a a very positive side of, of social media you know the person with your your old tour merch can message you saying they're coming you can see them in the front row you give them the hug and then boom the cycle the circle of, of life is complete the Lion <laughs> King was right um, but you are also in the world where, you know, here I am holding this, you know, this water bottle, um, you mm-hmm. guys should get this water bottle too, the mm-hmm. link in my bio, click the link, use the offer code Tiger Lily yes. for 10% off. Yeah. You mentioned, we talked about slippery slopes. That can be a slippery slope too.
0: Very much so. There's a lot of money in influencer advertising a lot of money for very minimal work. You can get paid thousands of dollars depending on how many followers you have in your engagement for taking one photo which could take you five minutes to take, you know. Um, So it can become very addictive and it – we mentioned this before we started chatting about um, responsible influencer marketing or responsible influential, you know, behaviour online and it's something that really irks me that so many influencers are just – irresponsibly selling crap to people that really look up to them. Um, And it's something that I made a real conscious effort to shift out of about 18 months ago or two years ago to only working with brands that I really love, use and believe in. So of course they've got to be like vegan and cruelty-free and all that great stuff, or they have to have some sort of responsible community effort Or it has to be like JBL, for example. I genuinely use their products day in, day out, whether it's mixing on my headphones, traveling, DJing, because, yeah, I could be holding up the water bottle and getting a kickback every time someone bought the water bottle. And I feel like it's something that young people are getting more clued on about. They're becoming smarter about what they're being sold online by influencers, but there's still so much... Haze around what's advertisement, what's not advertisement. And there are a lot of women online who are looked up to by millions of 15 year old girls and who are trying to sell them a dairy product or, I don't know, makeup that's been made from something hectic or tested on a heap of animals or, you know, boob jobs, literally. Like, It blows my mind or even at the moment one thing that I'm having a little bit of a gripe with is fast fashion. All these fast fashion labels, they're really cheap, they're really accessible and they really advertise like 15-year-olds, you know, who sometimes probably do have enough money to be going and buying it. And it's something that me as like an almost 30-year-old is trying to step away from but it's taking a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of conscious effort, you know, to be saying no to brands that are fast and quick.
3: How can I, as an Instagram consumer, mm. discern from, you know, this is a product that, or, or you know, th- this is someone that I believe in, you know, wanting to share with me something that they believe in mm. and this is just some crap. It may as well be on an infomercial at 2 in the morning.
2: It
0: takes time and research and actually thinking when you're scrolling, not just scrolling I think it's really important for young people to like look at who they're following and make a conscious effort to check that the people that they're following are aligned with their values. Because a lot of the time you'll see these really beautiful girls that will be, you know, promoting fitness and healthy stuff, but will also be promoting a whole heap of crap that you don't need or that there are just amazing alternatives out there so I think it would be really worthwhile if everyone sat down and said hey do I really want to be following these people Mm. and what do they bring to me and my life also the only other thing that I can really say is taking your time to research what you're investing in when you are going to purchase something Mm. we're going away on holiday soon we're going forward driving up in the Kimberleys and I needed to buy a couple of new like hiking bits and bobs for that I kid you not, I've probably spent 10 hours researching different companies and where they get stuff from and how they do stuff. And I spent quite a bit of money purchasing some pretty valuable items that I'm hopefully going to have for a long time. It's time consuming and it's expensive and um, it takes, yeah, research and effort. But I'm hoping that there is going to be a little bit more of a shift away from this fast, easy clicking, overconsumption life that we live at the moment there has to be a change there can't not be and I think it's also about finding influencers that are promoting this kind of stuff and following them and then seeing who they're following and becoming interested in it because as soon as you become aware you become so aware of how infiltrated it is into every single post that we see
3: we live in a a community uh, called Australia where we have federal elections we have state elections we have council elections but we can vote every hour of the day with where we spend our money. Mm. And I know that you also think about where your dollars go and do your dollars speak your message as well. Yeah. With things that people may not even consider. Like, for example, there's super fund. People are just like, oh, that money, it's on my payslip, it goes somewhere. Hopefully there will be enough of it when yeah. it's time to buy the caravan.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Literally, I actually wrote an article on my blog recently about conscious investment. And if you are privileged enough to be investing money or even just with your super fund, yeah,
3: your super fund at work, you get to choose where it goes. Yeah,
0: literally. I only thought about that three months ago because a girl on Instagram that I follow, Zaina Van Dyke, I think that's how you pronounce her name. You should interview her if you ever get the chance. She's amazing, she was chatting about it. And I was like, conscious investment, what even is that? And she was saying that if you don't invest in an ethically sound super fund, your money might be going to, I don't know, cigarette companies or alcohol companies or live export or mining Mm. or coal or whatever it might be. And I had like a meltdown and called my dad and called my financial advisors just thinking, how many years have I been putting money into things that I don't actually know where they're going to? Um, But then also, guys don't get too scared. It's not that scary. You can make changes pretty easily. Mm. Also day to day, you can make, real simple changes and put your dollar to places or brands or companies that are actually ethically a lot more sound. I did a post on my Instagram last night, totally unpaid for, about five local Aussie brands that are doing really great cruelty-free skincare because people are always advertising all these really common brands that obviously have a lot of money, but they're not cruelty-free. They're full of crap. They're actually really bad for your skin. But of course, the influencers are getting paid a lot of money to promote them. Mm. So I was just like, F this and jumped on my Instagram and like tagged these brands that people should be following and should Mm. be actually buying their product from and supporting because not only are they Australian, but they're like, you know, using really beautiful product, um, like ingredients for their products and actually giving back a lot of the time. So there are lots of ways that you can make switches in everything that you consume to making things slightly more ethical. Um, Even if it means, you know, not going to the big grocery store, going to your community market one weekend and I don't know, having breakfast there and getting your groceries that week from the local people who run small businesses out of their kitchen, you know, there are so many different ways that you can get creative with it. So I would advise people to, I suppose, maybe write a list of some different things that they purchase and see if they can find more ethical alternatives. And once you've got to the bottom of that list, write another one. (laughs) Because otherwise it becomes really overwhelming thinking about how much stuff we have and how much we consume and how much money we spend every single day.
3: It can also be overwhelming though to get trapped into that. Uh, is that an ethical choice? Oh, yeah, totally. Like, just plain cedar's
0: leather. Oh, Oh,
3: wrong airline. You know?
0: (laughs) Yes. You have to live a little as well and you have to sometimes just be like woosah, like whatever. Sure, you're trying to make the right decision 99% of the time. Mm. Planes are a great example. They're really bad for the environment. But I still have to go to my job and I still have to go and travel and make money for myself to live to then hopefully be doing all this good stuff. So, Mm. yeah, where do you draw the line? I don't know.
3: I I buy the carbon offset whenever I I fly.
0: Yeah, 100%. costs like a couple of bucks normally.
3: Yeah, it's not much at all. Mm. But it offsets my personal, you know, is it futile? I don't know. Does it help me feel better? Yeah. Yeah. Is my one little plate of food making a difference to the overall global meat consumption? Probably not at all. Does mm. it make me feel better? Yes.
2: Yes. Yeah,
0: totally right.
3: <laughs> but, you know, there's me and then if there's 100,000 of me, that's a lot, of, lot less plates of, of food. Yeah. Why, if you had to talk to someone who'd never thought about their money as an extension of their will, what would you say to them about, you know, where they spend their money and how it aligns with their, their impact?
0: That's a really loaded question. Yeah, it is. I'm going to kind of slightly answer this in a different way. I saw a meme actually the other day online. It said, it's just one coffee pod said 10 million people. And I think this meme really sums up your dollar spend really nicely. If you had $1, where would you put it toward? People would say, it doesn't matter. It's not making a difference. It just is going to get washed away. But I think everyone has a voice and an opportunity with their money to vote with what they want. And it's actually more powerful than anything. If people stopped purchasing, I don't know, red meat say, if they stopped purchasing that today there would be like some crazy shit going on with our country and our economy probably because it's all so intrinsically linked and your dollar is more powerful than anything else. So I would just say, start becoming slightly more slow and conscious when you are spending. Even if it takes putting a little note in your wallet every time you open it up that reminds you to think twice about what you're doing. We purchase in a state of being asleep, I feel these days, to the point where often you forget what you've even bought the day before. So it's just about... I personally think slowing it down and becoming a little bit more conscious when you do reach for your credit card or your one dollar coin.
3: No one pays with cash anymore. It's all tap. You know that. I do. You pay with cash.
0: I love cash. <laughs>
3: <laughs> maybe, maybe because you do gigs where you get paid in cash. But I don't get paid in cash. <laughs> I, don't paid in cash.
0: <laughs> I don't get paid in cash, but I love yeah. cash. It's so nice. <laughs> I don't know. There's something nice about paying in cash, and you always surprise the the uh, like the cashier. Because yeah. they, they just always pass you the machine and I'm like, oh, there's my five bucks for my coffee.
3: <laughs> wow. I yeah. I, I just don't carry cash anymore.
0: And it also makes like tipping easier. Like say if you're, like, you, yeah, you, if your coffee is like four eighty, it's easier to throw 20 cents in their little thingy, you know. I don't know. I like it. It's a All bit right. old school. No, that's
3: fair enough. <laughs> when it comes to, geez, as she moves into going out to big events, I don't know, what, what are some things that you would say? to a girl her age about what it is to go out and just some things to keep in mind and stuff like that.
0: I would always say, look after your friends. It's really important that you go out with people that have your best interests at heart. Things can go wrong when you go out to party, but things can also be great, of course. The most important thing is that if something goes wrong, you have people to look after you. It's really scary. I see far too often people alone at parties who are really unwell. Maybe you've had too much to drink, and no one's there to look after them. Second of all, if something ever does go wrong when you're out, like, don't feel like you can't reach out and talk to people call your parents call over the authorities whoever it might be because at the end of the day people care more about your safety than you know if someone's drunk too much or taken some sort of drug or something like that when i have kids i hope to really develop a relationship with them when they are that age that's really friendly and open and honest and I'm hoping that they will feel like they can communicate with me what they are doing and what they are intending to do, just because I feel like that's safe. And ultimately, that's all that really matters. And then the only other thing I would probably say is coming from a girl who's kind of done it all and partied at all these places and traveled to all these places and, you know, whatever, I think... Just staying aware of what you're doing is really important. I know that this is really lame, but when you're drinking and out at a party, have a drink of alcohol and have a drink of water. Even have a little sip of water, doesn't matter. But just kind of stay, stay aware of what you're doing because there can be a lot of crazy situations out there. And I've been in way too many for me to be even happy about, you know. And I feel very thankful that I'm at a point now where I'm very conscious of my partying behavior. But it took me a long time to get here and a lot of, you know, not very pleasant situations. And so I would hope that as a parent, you'd be able to chat to your kids about getting through those crappy situations by skipping the phase of being too drunk.
3: When's it time to go home?
0: (laughs) Nothing good ever happens after 1 a.m. <laughs> really, it doesn't. Really. So, yes, if it's 1 a.m., go home. Especially in Sydney these days with like the lockout laws and stuff like that. For
3: well, people listening all over the all over the world. Yeah,
0: all over the world. Look, it's very different in different parts of the world, but nothing great ever happens in those early hours of the morning in my opinion anyway unless I'm playing at 2am then definitely stay out
3: (laughs) what so what do you what do you mean like if you're still out after one what starts to happen
0: people get too drunk people get messy people get aggressive next minute you've dropped your phone or you've lost your bag or you've dropped both or you've fallen over and you've broken your heel I don't know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he concurs. Everything and ev- anything can happen, I think, past that point. Yeah. And for me now, the best times are, you know, far before then. And really the only times I'm generally up that late is when I'm working. Yeah. I'm a granny.
3: No, not at all. But I I remember coming to that conc- – I, like I, I've been sober for nine and a bit years now and I came to that conclusion, God, 10 years before I stopped drinking.
0: Yeah, wow. <laughs> but wow. But I'm like, the only thing
3: that happens – After two is I spend another $200 on booze and I completely destroy my next day. That's all that happens. Why do I do it every time? And then forgetting it five days later and then, yeah, (laughs) yeah, let's do another shot.
0: Literally shots happen after then. You know what? There's a massive difference between going home at like 1 or 2 a.m., Jumping in bed, sculling a litre of water and waking up the next morning, feeling pretty fresh, going for a swim and getting on with your Sunday, as opposed to staying out to like four or five a.m., probably doing like five or six shots, maybe more in that time and feeling like complete crap for the whole of Sunday and not being able to do anything.
3: Waking up at sunset on Sunday going, I have an hour of my weekend left. Oh, I have to no. be at work in the morning. Oh, like, no. It's the worst. Oh,
0: no. Yeah. That makes me feel anxious thinking about that. Yeah.
3: it's the, it's, it's the worst. <laughs> Because I, I often struggled like because I would always like I want to stay out because it wasn't, wasn't right yet. Fun's not quite here yet. Yeah,
0: it's that FOMO, isn't it? Yeah. I have so many friends like that, especially in the dance music industry. It's always like but something else is going to happen. It's going to get more crazy. And I think if you can learn to look around and realize that the fun has been had at a young age and be like, cool, yeah, that was super fun. We had the best night. Now we're going to go home. Great. That's a skill. I feel like I've pretty much done it. Yeah, I feel like I have, but I'm 27, so it took me a while to get there. But, yeah, don't worry about FOMO. FOMO is not a thing, really. They should be FOMO of you in bed at midnight after sculling your, you know, Barocca and water and going to sleep and feeling great on Sunday. I'm FOMO of all the people that do that.
3: (laughs) was my favourite place to go out is uh, Club Bed featuring DJ Pillow and MC yes! Blankie. Yes. <laughs> oh, my
0: goodness. <laughs> That's like my favourite night off. Oh, <laughs> heavenly.
3: <laughs> DJ Pillow and MC Blankie are my favourite team. <laughs> I, I, I party with them every night.
0: Oh, and how amazing is it?
3: Uh, oh, well, now the gravity blanket's involved. It's fucking incredible.
0: Am I going to buy a gravity blanket? You are. What is it?
3: It's twelve kilograms of blanket.
0: Oh my god! So it's what like pulls you down. Yep. <gasps> and what's like the science behind it? Uh, Sell me it.
3: Well, it's it used to settle kids who uh, have uh, autism spectrum oh. issues. Uh, it gives us it, it calms your aut- autonomic nervous system. Yep. Makes you feel like you're being held. If you've got any history of trauma or whatever, Richard Roll told me about it.
0: Really? Yeah. I love him.
3: I love him so much. He's my
0: celeb crush.
3: Oh. Uh, I am honored to call him a friend. He's an extraordinary man. He's been in this house. He sat in that chair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Julie sat right here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're amazing people. Extraordinary people. He's one so of the,
0: incredible. Like, yeah. one of the, not that I've ever met him, but like, just he's an amazing guy. Amazing human. Yeah, he's an
3: amazing guy. But he, he told me about the graphic like it. Really? And yeah. He's like, he said it's the best night's sleep I've ever had. And um, we're, we, we have a few things in common. Uh, Rich and I. Yes. And um, I can I'm, like, I'm going to give, give this gravity blanket thing a shot. And fuck, yeah.
2: Really? It's the,
3: the business. Oh Hard my to gosh. move around.
2: Yeah. Uh, like it's
3: a bit tough in a double bed, so I fold it in half and have it just on my side, but it sucks me into the bed. And I've had – since I've got it, I've had, got it about a month ago, a month and a half ago. Yeah. I just have the best sleep. So I just had to spend two nights in Melbourne without it. Oh, no. In an unfamiliar hotel room.
0: So can you use it on like a – Double or queen bed?
3: Yeah, if you want. If, if Audrey can't, it's too heavy for her. Yeah, okay, she can't, sure. She's pregnant right now, so she, yeah, of course she's got to be super. Like she can only sleep on one particular. Did you know when you're pregnant, you can only sleep on your left side? What? Yeah, when you're pregnant. Why? When you're pregnant, you can only sleep on your left side because if you sleep on your right side, the weight of the baby. Um, presses down on this particular artery inside and it causes your feet to swell and all kinds, of, like it stops blood drainage from your lower body. Wow,
0: that's Just so crazy. Just because the way we're built. Yeah. So you've got to sleep
3: on your left, left side, side to allow that yeah. uh, blood to circulate properly.
0: And I suppose naturally that's probably more comfortable when you're pregnant anyway.
3: Uh, I don't
0: know. Um, my partner and I have this thing, well, I have this thing in that I take all the blankets and like, pull them onto my side and then drop them on the floor. So then he's left shivering all night. Uh So we have like three blankets on our bed to kind of change up, I suppose, the ratio of whether he's – or the probability of whether he's going to end up blanketless at the end of the night. So having a 12-kilogram heavy blanket would mean that I probably couldn't shift too much in the middle of the night.
3: If you want, you can have a lie down on the couch. I can go get it. And you can lie (laughs) under it and you can go –
0: I'm oh gonna buy my this. god!
3: Yeah, I'm going to buy this. Oh
0: my goodness!
3: I'm so grateful you came around.
0: Thanks for we having me on the show. I don't know if really?
3: You
0: that. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. We're just did
3: an hour and a half. Um, I'm so stoked you came around, and I'm, I'm particularly grateful for what you said about, you know, what it is to go out as a young woman. Because mm. um, as a, I've known Georgia since she was ten. Yeah. And I, I'm not her father. Though all the switches in my body that want to protect her as a father are, are there, of course, and um, she, I love her a bit, so i do anything for her. And she, as far as I'm concerned, as a young woman, she should be able to go out, and have yeah, a fun great totally. time, and you know, meet people, meet different people, have a great time, enjoy yourself, be exposed to different parts of the society, different music, different people, different environments, and safely be able to walk around and, yeah. and come home. Yeah. We live in a modern world. Totally. It's not always the case. Not always the case.
0: I think really that going back to that, like it's something that I've been thinking about, you know, thinking about when I want to have kids and, you know, if I do have girls in particular, it can be pretty hairy. But going back to the one thing that we mentioned earlier is community. And for her to be building a community of like friends and relationships with, her parents, as well as like her school friends or uni friends or whatever it might be, is so essential to like thriving in those years of your life. Because if you feel supported and accepted to be yourself um, and you feel safe to try new experiences because you have people that are watching out for you, like that is the one thing that is just so important. As soon as I see or hear of like a family friend or something getting in with a A hairy group of people. It makes me really worried because friends are so influential, Um, and even you know, parental behaviour is so influential, or sibling um, behaviour is so influential. So having a really like tight knit good community is just so important.
3: Thank you so much for being a part of this.
0: Mm, Thanks for having me. It's been so fun.
3: Best ever. Um, Sorry about the noise, but yeah, you know. uh, (laughs) We have a new intercom. Yeah, how exciting is that? super exciting. (laughs) How else is Deliveroo going to get up here? Exactly. We will start. Um, I was going to take your photo real quick. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, sweet. You got it.
2: Thank you.
1: That was DJ Tiger Lily. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram, DJ Tiger Lily, T I G E R L I L Y. She's a great human being. Go see her play. Um, She loves it. She's been to see her. and She thinks she's great. Um, Thank you so much to everybody that made the show today. Andy Ma, my audio producer, for coordinating getting a podcast out the week her son was born. Rachel Barrett for protecting me and my schedule so I had the time to lie here in this chair with this boy asleep on my chest and Lauren Miller as well for making phone calls to explain to people why I couldn't do things this week. I am very, very lucky to work with two incredible human beings that have made this time for me and my family to be together. Um, I'll tell you all about it on Friday Um, but there's a lot of people that worked really hard to make sure that Audrey and me and this baby and Georgia were able to do what we did this week Um, and we're very very grateful but I'll tell you all about that Um, and thanks very much Mike Mills uh, toe hider for all the music today so I'll um, I'll talk to you Friday where I probably will have less sleep but more smiles and um, right now I'm just you know I'm sitting in a chair skin to skin with a 48 hour old baby boy who's incredible and I'm looking at my wife's sleep and she's amazing and I'm in awe of her total awe of her so I'm still trying to figure it all out hey buddy, what's up, you want to say hi? okay okay little eyeballs are shifting around. I wonder what do you dream of when you're 48 hours old? Anyway, I'm going to say it to you, buddy. As what I say to them every week. Sleep well and dream of beautiful things.